0: Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers that will help you better understand Scripture so it will have a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Genstead, the Staff Minister for Nurture at St. Andrew.
1: Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Those words encourage us to feed on God's Word. So let's do that. First, I'd like to welcome any first-time listeners to Impact. Glad you are here today. I trust you will enjoy this podcast, Bible Study. And for those of you who are back again, it's great to have you listening. It's a privilege to share God's Word with all of you. May the Lord grant all of you a greater understanding of His Word. My guest today is Professor Sam Degner at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. We'll get to meet Sam here in a moment. Let's first begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, we ask that you would bless us through your word today, strengthen our faith, give us wisdom, joy, and peace, and keep us hungry for your word, the bread of life. Amen. So, folks, we're in Acts chapter 4 today, so I encourage you to take time to read that entire chapter. That's the plan to get through this entire chapter, Acts chapter 4, today. Uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, my guest, as I said, is Professor Sam Degner, a first-time guest. Welcome to Impact. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here today. It's a beautiful day today, folks. It's late July on a Friday morning. I drove over from Madison today. And it is just absolutely gorgeous out. And actually, Sam, I have my golf clubs in the back seat of my car. So I thought about saying, Sam, I'm not feeling it today. I, I, I can't do this. I'm not feeling well. And then I was going to play hooky and go find a golf course in Mequon.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I, I wouldn't join you on the golf course. Oh, well, you're not anymore. a golfer. Uh, I was.
1: You were? Okay. Yeah. You and I played baseball together back at MLC we back did. in the day. We did. And uh, you and I are fans of the Minnesota Twins. Can we admit that on this? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're hanging on to first place as we speak today, but I don't know when this is going to be released. So by the time this is released, they might be out of the race. People Uh, might chuckle, yeah, yeah, by that time. So how long have you been here at the seminary, Sam?
2: Just finished five years. Okay, and what do you teach? I teach evangelism and New Testament classes.
1: Okay, and your family?
2: I have a wife, Mandy, and three kids, Evelyn, Anna, and William.
1: And they, they keep you busy?
2: They keep me busy. Uh, they're uh, uh, they're a blessing to have, and they they love life here on this campus.
1: Yeah, very good. So it's summertime as we're recording. I, I think I mentioned that late July. So it's a little bit less hectic for a seminary professor in the, in the summer. Not that you have the summer off. I, I get that. Uh, I was a teacher for twenty years. Sure. Uh, family vacation? Did you didn't, take one? Didn't this take
2: summer? one this summer. We're looking forward to one maybe in the winter. Where, of, where to?
1: Uh, we'll see. Somewhere warm? Somewhere warm. Okay.
2: Lots of summer things, though, with the kids. Baseball and softball and swimming, a little camping.
1: Very good. Yeah. Do you have a camper or are you tent campers? We, we have
2: a pop-up camper that needs to be repaired.
1: Yeah, so do we. <laughs> Acts chapter four. Yeah, let's uh, do it. Have you have you done a lot of work with the book of Acts? I've
2: been I've been studying Acts, uh, using it devotionally at the beginning of some of my classes here at the seminary, a culture and communication class that I do. I've been taking some some vignettes, some episodes from the Book of Acts to show the the, the culture clashes that happen and the way that the apostles work through some of them, uh, the way they they tailor the gospel to people from different cultures. Uh, so I've been studying it for that, and then I'll, I'll be teaching a. Uh, a course for our master's degree program continuing education for pastors uh, based on the the missions lessons we can learn in acts
1: okay very good um, I don't know people ask I ask people all the time what's your favorite book of the Bible so let me ask you do you have a favorite book professor
2: I, I'll say act today okay <laughs> otherwise rough. no I, uh, whichever one I'm studying yeah
1: not. exactly that's that's kind of where I lean to but that being said, uh, I've I've always really enjoyed Acts. I mean, it's it's a it's a great book, and it, there's so much we can take and apply to our to our lives as people that are trying to get that gospel out Absolutely. to the world, right? Mm-hmm. So Acts chapter four today, folks. So take time to read that. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if we can get through this and have this be a one part episode or. At some point, I'll say, well, let's see, we still have we still have half this to go and we're at about 30. So we'll see if, if we get this in, in one part or uh, I might make a decision, Professor, on the fly and say, well, let's stop here and let's come back and do part two next week. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. So Acts chapter four, here's the first question as, as I look at the text here. What's going on here is what we're going to find is Peter and John are going to get themselves in trouble. They're going to be arrested. They're going to have to answer to the Sanhedrin, and uh, we'll we'll establish some context as we go. So I'm looking at the opening verse here in in Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed. It says they were greatly disturbed, and then it says why? Because the apostles were teaching about Jesus and, and his resurrection. So the first question, Professor, why, why did Jesus bother these Jewish leaders so much? They were hmm. greatly disturbed. Well,
2: you know, at this point, uh, I have to imagine that they they thought they had taken care of the Jesus problem, right? And now the the disciples are, are still preaching about Jesus, uh, even after they had had them had Jesus killed. So I, I think that's part of it. Uh, and then going back to, uh, well, they're causing some of the same problems that Jesus did, right? So threatening their authority, teaching uh, something that was contrary to what they were teaching. Uh, some of the, the, the leaders, especially the Sadducees that we have here in, in chapter four, uh, they were comfortable with their, with their positions of authority. The Sadducees were a little more secular even though they were associated with the temple. They were comfortable under, under Rome. The Romans let them have a little bit of influence and, and even political power and you know, wouldn't want anything to, to mess with that.
1: Okay, I want to ask about this phrase uh, so we, we, get, we get why they are greatly disturbed. It says that the apostles were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Can you explain that phrase?
2: You know, a lot of the, uh, the translations and then the commentaries, uh, they take that as proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. I think it's also possible that they're proclaiming that there is a resurrection from the dead, which is available to, uh, to all people through Jesus. Uh, And either way, that would have been a a threat to them. Again, especially the Sadducees. The Sadducees, if you remember from the Gospels, uh, were told they didn't believe in the resurrection. And so this would have uh, flown in the face of what they believed, what they taught. And then, of course, if Jesus has been raised and this is being proclaimed among the people and hope given to them that they could be raised too, then that's a a threat to them.
1: And it got to the point that Peter and John were seized and thrown in jail until the next day. And then in this verse... Verse 4, Professor, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So I think back to Acts 1, 120 believers, and then we had uh, the Pentecost Sermon of Peter, many more, and now even more. And and verses like this is why uh, sometimes we call the book of Acts... The gospel of the Holy Spirit. Sure, the church keeps growing.
2: Yeah, uh, 120, and then chapter two, three thousand on Pentecost, right? And now uh, five thousand. The uh, the apostles are simply preaching the good news of, uh, of of Jesus, who was crucified by their own people and then raised again. And the Holy Spirit is is growing the church exponentially.
1: So I'm jumping down to verse seven here, folks. Uh, there's a question that that uh, the the rulers asked Peter. And John, they said, "By what power or what name did you do this?" And so we got to go backwards here, Professor, to chapter three. What what are they referencing when they say, "By what power did you do this?"
2: Well, uh, Peter and John, by God's power, had had healed a man who had been crippled from birth. Uh, And uh, what's interesting is that they were they did this in the in the temple, uh, right? So um, you see, uh, already early in Acts, in Acts chapter two, that. The believers are spending time in the temple. At the very end of Acts chapter two, you have this description of the of the the church, and it's this this beautiful description. They're in the temple every day. It says praising God, and then they're meeting in their homes too. Uh, and so they're spending time in the temple, which is which makes sense. That's where the Old Testament people praised God, where they worshipped Him. And not only that, the disciples are preaching about Jesus to the to the people there who will listen. Uh, and they come across a, a man who had been crippled from from birth, and uh, he's asking for money. They get his attention. He thinks maybe they'll give him some money. They have something better to offer. And in the name of Jesus, specifically, they say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, get up and he gets up and jumps around and praises God and everybody sees what had happened. Of course, that gathers a crowd, right? And so now they have an opportunity. God's power was on display, uh, marking them as messengers of, of the, the true God. And, and now people are listening and they, they preach really the same kind of message he had preached on Pentecost. Um, Jesus is, is the Messiah. You crucified him, but he, he's, he's risen and God, God wants you to know that. He wants you to repent and have forgiveness of sins in his name.
1: Just want to say this, folks, Uh, Professor Degner there mentioned uh, those verses in Acts chapter two, those beautiful verses that describe the early church. And uh, if you are a first time listener, uh, I hope you know that all of our previous episodes are available. It wasn't long ago that I had a two part episode on Acts chapter two, those very verses you're talking about with Mm -hmm. uh, Pastor Kent Reeder. They're absolutely fantastic, uh, folks. You'll really enjoy that Acts chapter two. So you take time to find that two-part episode.
2: And if I could, that that uh, you know Acts chapter two, you get to the end of that chapter, and you you have this, uh, you might say this is like the the, it's almost like the church in heaven, right? It seems like it seems like everything is. Uh, the believers are doing what believers should do, and they're they're growing in uh, their in esteem from the people outside the church too. People are seeing the way they treat each other and uh, the signs the apostles are doing, and they're saying, "Wow, there's something going on here." It just doesn't take long for conflict to arise, right? And so yeah, here right. here in chapter three, uh, there with the miracle and then the preaching, uh, now you have now you have conflict. And and one of the interesting things in the book of Acts, if you uh, read especially through the first maybe eight chapters, you see that Luke, as he's writing Acts, he he alternates uh, between the temple and, and home settings. And so uh, in Acts chapter 2, you have both as this, both are mentioned in a, in a positive way. The believers are at the temple and they're in the home. Now you start to see some conflict happening around the scene of the temple. It's not the believers' fault, uh, but it's the people who are in charge of the temple, and they're they're threatened. And so here uh, you have the the Sadducees and the priests uh, who have a problem with what the disciples are doing. This this kind of theme goes all the way through uh, to the end of Acts, when Paul is in the temple and ends up being uh, a mob forms and he's he's taken away for his own safety. So you have this. Uh, the, the, the the tone or the mood turns a little bit here uh, in the book of Acts uh, so that the persecution of believers is really a part of the story
1: then from, from here on out. So back to the text. So again, the question in verse 7 from the Sanhedrin to Peter and John, by what power or name did you do this? And then Luke tells us that Peter, before he gives his answer, Luke tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Why is Luke uh, sure to mention that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit here?
2: Well, I love that detail, and I'm glad you, you asked about that. Uh, you know, first of all, it makes me think of the, the Old Testament refrain. Whenever, uh, often, when God called someone to do something special, right, when a king was anointed, uh, for example, it would say, the Spirit of the Lord came on him. Uh, does that mean that he didn't have the Holy Spirit before? No, right, he was a believer. But uh, the Spirit of the Lord was giving a special dispensation of power, of of boldness, of uh, some kind of ability for that person to do what they were called to do. And I I think you have something similar here. In fact, uh, this is really a fulfillment of what Jesus promised, right? And Jesus had told his disciples, you know, in the future, they're going to call you before councils and synagogues and rulers. And don't be afraid because my Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. Uh, So really, I see this as a fulfillment of Jesus' promise. Uh, and a special measure of the Spirit given to Peter to, not to back down, but to boldly profess in the face of this persecution.
1: A couple of things. Uh, This is the same Holy Spirit that was given to Jesus to help him in his ministry.
2: Yeah, you know, interesting that that phrase, full of the Holy Spirit, was used in Luke 4. So right after Jesus' baptism, uh, he anointed by the Spirit, right? And then it says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, went out into the desert to be tempted. Uh, so yeah, same same phrase used there. Uh, the the same concept that uh, Jesus, as our earthly brother, was, uh, of course, the anointed one. We'll talk about that more, I think, a little bit later. Uh, and uh, the the Holy Spirit also was at was at work uh, in him. A, really, a miraculous and mysterious uh, thing to think about with the Trinity.
1: Yeah, with a follow up question on that, and I can see this is going to be a two part episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're not uh, going to get that round of golf in today, are you? Yeah, right. Jesus as God would would not need that power from the Holy Spirit, but Jesus as man did.
2: That's a that sounds like a whole. Whole other podcast (laughs) or series of podcasts, but absolutely Uh, part of the mystery of the the dual uh, natures of Christ, right?
1: Yeah. And then my other comments uh, about this uh, Peter being filled with the Holy Spirit, think back to prior to Jesus' crucifixion, he's arrested, and what does Peter do? I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Mm -hmm. And here, he knows he's in trouble, but this is as bold as you can get because he knows when they ask him this question, by what power did you do this? He knows what he's going to say, and he knows it's going to get him in trouble, but it, he doesn't back down at all.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and again, uh, the, the difference is the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, not that as a believer he didn't have the Spirit before, but Jesus promised this special outpouring of the Spirit. That's what they were waiting for in, in Jerusalem at the beginning of Acts. Jesus had said, I'll clothe you with power from on high. And that's really the, the difference maker in those disciples before and after. Certainly the resurrection, and they were eyewitnesses of that, right? But uh, even after the resurrection, there seems to be some misunderstanding, some hesitation. And when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit on them in that special way, uh, empowers them, emboldens them, uh, you've got, you have a, a very different uh, Peter here.
1: Yeah, it says in verse 13, when they saw the courage of Peter and John. So it took Peter a lot of courage to say what he mm-hmm. did. And as you said, he was emboldened by the Holy Spirit. So this is Peter's answer. I'm starting in verse 8. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, Hmm. but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And then I want to ask about verse 11, Professor. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. So there Peter is quoting from the Psalms. He knew his Bible very well, right? Mm-hmm. Psalm 118. Can you help us understand this analogy of the capstone or the cornerstone being compared to Jesus?
2: Sure. It, you know, It depends on... Um, hard to know if the capstone or cornerstone is exactly what's in, intended here. Either way, the, the point will be the same. So the capstone will be that... The, the top stone in an arch right in a stone arch is the one that holds the whole thing together. And a cornerstone would be the the first stone that's laid in a building and the most important one, it had to be sturdy. It had to be uh, straight lines because the the rest of the the building depended on it. So uh, either way, the, the point is Jesus is the he's the one on which the the whole church is built the, on which the whole church depends. And even though he looked like something to be thrown away, by the um, the builders, so to speak, the the Jewish leaders. Uh, he was revealed uh, by his resurrection to be the, the cornerstone of the church.
1: Okay, and then verse 12, I think, is a real key verse that uh, gets a lot of play when we talk about justification mm-hmm. that comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. I think of John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This has a similar message in that salvation comes from only Jesus. I'll read verse 12. Salvation is. These are words of Peter. Mm-hmm. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. How about that verse? Well, that's
2: not a popular verse today by people who would like to think that there are other ways to to get to salvation, right? I mean, this is a this is a polarizing verse, isn't it? Uh, there's no other way to be saved. There is no other name, and there's that word again, name, right? So uh, it was in Jesus' name that they did the healing. It's a uh, in Jesus' name, that they're preaching that the resurrection is found again. There's no other name. There's no other authority uh, by which we can be saved other than Jesus Christ, and that's a, a that's a hard message for a lot of people to accept.
1: It is a hard message for a lot of people to accept, and and I guess as as I think about that, uh, why why is that so hard to accept? It's just a matter of pride, isn't it? I,
2: I suppose, or goes against the. You know the our our current uh, way of thinking in the world, which is that uh, everybody can choose their own truth, everybody has their own narrative, and to be to be exclusive, right? To say that no, there is only one way. There's only one true salvation, one true God. Um, just flies in the face of that. But uh, as you you think about this, yeah, I'm sure you've heard this said, right? Christianity is um, it is very exclusive in that sense, um, and yet it's also utterly inclusive because all people are invited to believe in this name. Uh, in fact, Peter himself had said that in in chapter two, right? Uh, uh, on Pentecost uh, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So uh, it's an invitation that goes out to all people, Jews, Gentiles, men and women, rich and poor, uh, people from all those nations gathered there on the day of Pentecost. So um, uh, exclusive yes, but what uh, what true thing isn't exclusive? Uh, and yet inclusive, uh, uh, absolutely, uh, in the sense that all people are invited to enjoy the salvation that Jesus has won for them.
1: Back to the text in verse 13, Luke, the writer of Acts, continues the narrative. He says, when they, that's the Sanhedrin, uh, the leaders, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, fishermen, right? (laughs) They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What's Luke telling us here?
2: Uh, well, they, they couldn't deny the miracle, right? They, there's this, this man there who uh, had been crippled from birth, and everybody knew that, and now everybody sees him jumping around. They, they couldn't deny it. Uh, he's sort of uh, the evidence in the court that's speaking against them. And uh, he, sadly, they, they refused to, to believe it, right? They refused to see it. It, it. it feels a lot like the way that they had treated Jesus uh, when they saw Jesus do miracles too. And they either uh, refused to believe what he had done or found excuses for it or uh, alternate reasons, right? They said he does, does this by the power of the devil. Uh, sad that they, 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 they couldn't see or didn't want to admit that something real had happened here, and see the pattern that this all has to do with the name of Jesus.
1: To me, it comes back to pride again, right? Yeah, that's they, they that's couldn't stubborn. swallow their pride and admit that they that they maybe they were wrong, and maybe Peter and John were onto something here.
2: That's the stubbornness of of unbelief.
1: So what what did they do? They they had a closed door meeting, the hmm. Sanhedrin. I don't know how you is that how you say the San I've heard it Sanhedrin Sanhedrin and I, Sanhedrin.
2: <laughs> the first one's what what I usually
1: say. Okay, so. the Sanhedrin. So that's Must the Pharisees, right. the, <laughs> the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So they they have this closed door meeting. They send uh, Peter and John away, and then and then they wonder what are we going to do with these guys? Everyone knows they did this miracle, and then I, I I love this. Well, I don't love it, but I do love it at the same time. Verse seventeen. But to stop this thing they call it, they say to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. So they really thought they could contain the spread of God's church, this thing.
2: Well, they were desperate to try, weren't they? Um, they again, they had they had tried to to stop Jesus when he was uh, uh, on the earth and he now they want to stop his disciples. Uh, and and it's it's sadly ironic, I think, that they they have the disciples in the same place, uh, literally that they had Jesus, right? Jesus appears before the Sanhedrin. Oh, there I just said it the other way, didn't I? Uh, before the Sanhedrin uh, on uh, the night that he was betrayed and uh, on trial, and they refused to see the evidence, didn't they? They refused to see uh, the that uh, Jesus was able to. In the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, uh, to heal an, an ear, uh, they refuse to hear real testimony that none of the none of the witnesses could agree with each other. And here again, they have now Jesus' disciples on trial in front of the same group. Uh, not much, not much time afterwards, and they have a, a witness right in front of them—a man who had been uh, born crippled and now is healed—and yet refused to see that. So the in their stubbornness of unbelief, they're desperate. To try to stop uh, stop this movement in any way that they can, and at this point now, all they have are threats. Right? They they know they can't they can't reject the uh, eyewitness testimony, and they know they they can't upset the people, but they threaten the disciples. Uh, this is the well. This is their history, and really the history of so many so many people uh, in the world trying to stop Jesus and his people. Uh, but they can't succeed, uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit later with the the psalm, I believe.
1: Yeah, right. And and it's kind of uh, it's kind of funny, isn't it? I mean, their their attempt at stopping this thing from spreading. We're going to warn them. We're going to warn them right. that if they keep it up, they're going to be in big trouble.
2: They believed a lot in their authority, I think, and they didn't understand maybe or didn't want to believe that they were up against a higher authority, which is exactly what the disciples appeal to, right?
1: And praise God. I guess I, maybe I shouldn't make light of it because you know, if, if you are if you are today, if someone warns you that if you keep this Jesus talk up, you you are going to be thrown in prison, uh, or this might cost you your life. On one hand, that's when we rely on God-given courage. On the other hand,, I've never been in that situation. Right. and uh, without God-given courage, I can see, and and certainly people have backed down, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely, that's why the disciples uh, are gonna they're gonna pray for that courage. And we'll we'll see. That's exactly what they ask for.
1: Yeah, that'll be next week. That believers' prayer. I All love right. that. So we'll we'll eventually get to that. but sure. Let's let's keep going here. So they bring Peter and John back in the room, and uh, this is their decision. I'm I'm looking at uh, verse 18. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, here's two great verses to uh, sit with a little bit, judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So that's their response. Um, I guess I see a face-off here, professor, between Jesus, what Jesus had told the disciples, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, and what they hear now. No more teaching in the name of Jesus.
2: I like how you frame that. I, I think that's a, a good way to see it. And, and when, it, when you frame it that way, it's a no-brainer, right? Or it should be. Uh, who are we going to listen to? Uh, are we going to listen to the Lord, or are we going to listen to these people who are telling us not to teach? Uh, but uh, it, you know, as soon as I say that, it's a no-brainer. I, I recognize I've, I've given in to far less pressure than this, uh, and I've kept quiet because I didn't want things to be awkward. Or I didn't want people to laugh, or for me to be embarrassed, or to face uh, some kind of opposition, uh, or because I just didn't feel like getting into it at the time. And so uh, I, I praise God for the boldness of the disciples show. That's what I that's what I pray for too, as we'll we'll talk about next week.
1: Yeah, that, that's a great point. Uh, I, I guess I'd like to elaborate just a little bit more on that. Uh, the idea that we and I'm right there with you, Professor. Uh, we and i i would guess a lot of our listeners would say the very same thing we back down and avoid talking about jesus talking about matters of faith for far less threats don't we
2: absolutely yeah we, we don't have um, the government telling us at this moment if you keep preaching this you'll be in jail uh It's not a uh, as easy an environment as it has been in the past, maybe, to to preach and to share God's word in our country. But uh, for for most of us, we 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 have we have the freedom, (laughs) we have the freedom to be able to speak it. Uh, And yet, there are social pressures, there are internal hang ups, there are all kinds of things that that keep us from from wanting to upset the apple cart, from from wanting to uh, cause any kind of friction with the people around us.
1: Yeah, I'm 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 guilty. So give us give us an answer here, uh, Professor Pastor Degner, um, for our listeners, for for me. What's what's your best advice, encouragement that you can give us w- when we are in those situations where we, where we are quick to back down because we're we're afraid to say something. How do we how do we how do we prevent that? I guess is my question.
2: Great, great question. You know, I I think it's it's good to remember that uh, these disciples were were sinners like us. So where did they get their power, right? Where did they get their boldness? And and again, they're going to pray for just that, and we ought to do the same. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's sort of a law and gospel answer. You know, it's good for me to remember that when when I have opportunities to to speak the truth, and I just plain back down. Uh, that's me caving in and, and uh, choosing to obey, so to speak, the people around me or, or the voice inside of me instead of my Lord who says, uh, be my witness. Uh, but at the same time, that, that's not what that's not what drove them, right? Peter's not saying, uh, we're afraid of what, what God's going to do to us if we don't listen to him. He, he's saying, we, we have to, we can't help this. And to me, that sounds like uh, a man who had seen his Savior die, who had denied him the night that he was betrayed, and then saw his Savior alive again, and was restored in forgiveness by that Savior, uh, and now full of the Holy Spirit, just can't help uh, telling people what what he's seen. Uh, he knows personally the the message of restoration and forgiveness in Christ, and he wants his countrymen to know that too. He wants everyone to to, to know this this good news. So ultimately, that's what that's what drives us, right? You know, the same. The same thing uh, at night that allows me to sleep well, knowing that even if I failed in my opportunities during the day, my Savior Jesus forgives me, is what drives me the next day to to want to be a bold witness for him.
1: Excellent. I've got a few more questions on this uh, this encounter here with uh, the Sanhedrin and Peter and John, but we're going to wait and save that for next week, and then we'll get to the believer's prayer, okay. which is terrific. So. Thanks for today, Professor, and we'll see you back here next week. Sounds good. So I invite you to come back next week for Part 2 here with uh, Professor Degner on Acts Chapter 4. For now, may God be with you, and remember this time that you spend with God's Word is time well spent.
0: Thank you for listening to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Our email address is impact at st-andrew-online.org. That's impact at saint Andrew online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and pray for this ministry. Impact is new every Monday, and all past episodes are available. The better you understand Scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.